This is Tell Me Something Good About Retail with Bob Fibbs, the Retail Doctor. And if you're not willing as a retailer to step up and not just compare yourself to your competition, but you need to compare yourself to others outside of your direct competition so you can become world-class, not just best in class. Welcome to Tell Me Something Good About Retail with your host, Bob Fibbs, the champion for a more human connection in retail for over 30 years as a retail doctor. Bob is the authority on brick-and-mortar retail across the world, who works with some of the biggest luxury brands to independent retailers of all sizes. Hey, it's Bob Fibbs, the Retail Doc, but you know that because you already follow me on all of our social media. Today, I'm joined by Shep Hyken. He is a customer experience and service expert and the chief amazement officer of Shepard Presentations. We'll find out about that. And he's a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author of eight books and has been inducted in the National Speakers Association Hall of Fame for lifetime achievement in the speaking profession. Welcome, Shep. Hey, man, that's a great introduction. My mom would be proud of that. Thank you. She actually sent it to me. So can you tell me about your journey of how you became a customer service expert and if you can add in the guitars behind you, why those are part of your office? I'd love to learn. So go. Sure. <laughs> Let's start with the easy question first, the guitars. They're more fun. Um, so I am here in my office. My office is literally 200 long, big steps from the front door of our apartment building to the office building, two buildings over. And when everybody's gone, I pick up those guitars and I'll occasionally play. And it just brings my head back to where I want to go. And then I, I get back into work and I do my creative writing and whatever I do to support. Um, I The guitars, uh, yeah, I play guitar. I'm, I'm very serious about it. I play every day. And I actually, um, lately, I've been playing with John Mayer, which is really cool. Yeah. Uh, every night I go home, I turn on YouTube and I play along with the YouTube video of John Mayer. It's so much fun. <laughs> I saw your you had me, damn it. There. You had me. Just a second. Your eyes got big and it was perfect. I had you. <laughs> All right. But let's get to the more serious question. Uh, I started in retail when I was eight years old. I worked for my grandpa who had a pharmacy and I learned how to be nice to customers. I was eight years old, count the change, doing the cash register, doing inventory. Uh, and I just loved working with people. Uh, my aunt Janice, as I called the lady who worked for my grandpa, who helped me learn how to run the cash register and count the money. She was wonderful. Anyway, uh, cut to about 19. Oh, actually, I want to tell you the year. I'll just tell you the age. I was about 12 years old and I started my first business, a birthday party magic show business. And inherently, I knew I wanted to make people happy. That was obvious by my retail experience in the drugstore. By the way, three days a week, two summers, age eight, age nine. What a great job. Go to the store with grandpa. Anyway, uh, my parents taught me when I got finished with my magic show, write a thank you note follow up, make sure they're happy, ask specific questions to find out what tricks they like in the show. If they don't talk about the tricks that are, you know, you see a pattern, get rid of those tricks, replace them with new tricks. 
All of this is about feedback, process improvement, the same things that we do today and basically any retail store is thinking the same thing. We need to make sure we have what our customers want. How do we find out? We ask them. We can watch what they're buying or not buying to determine that, but there's lots of ways. And of course, we always need to appreciate them and take care of them and make sure that they want to come back and even more importantly, refer us to their friends. That's what I did as a kid at 12. And I, and I again, I did magic shows I still do magic shows, but it's just a different level today. Uh, it's still, it's my hobby, but I, I do, I have fun with it and do a lot of work with charity. But in those days, uh, I recognized that the show had to be something that would be, that people would want to say, hey, I got another kid. You want to do their party? Or can I bring you back next year? And do you have more tricks? And even better than that, the parents in the back of the room of the kids in the audience, can you give me their names and numbers so I can call them? If they weren't willing to refer me, I wasn't doing a good job. So that's my background in customer service. And of course, I got more scientific with it when I got out of college and started working, uh, you know, it, doing my, my business, which uh, was less than a year out of college. And all that at 12, like, wow, your parents should be giving classes on how to who parent your thought? kids, right? You know that book? I don't remember who wrote it, but it's like everything I learned, I learned in kindergarten or something like that. It's kind of the same thing. My customer service skills started when I was 12 years old. Yeah. And, you know, fifth, sixth grade, whenever that is, that's when I started to learn. But, and, and actually, even when my grandpa taught me, we always thank that customer. We always make sure they walk out of the store smiling. What can you do? Tell them to have a great day. Whatever it is, engage. My job was not just to take money and, and you know, make change when they checked out. My job was to make sure that they walked out knowing how much we appreciate their business. Well, that's that's it. And I always say to people who are, have you know, they're saying, oh, you know, sales are down or whatever. I'm like, so what are you doing in your mind that's different than when you open? Because when you open a store, you'll do anything. Uh, I don't have it, but I'll get it. Uh, sure, I could deliver it. Sure, whatever you want, I can do it. And then we get kind of jaded, right? It's kind of like, yeah, well, we don't, yeah, we don't do that. Yeah, we can't. You know, it works so well, we stopped doing it. Yeah, yeah. You know, that that's, by the way, that's a common theme through a lot of different businesses that we work with is that they, to your point, and I love it, you know, in the beginning, we do anything. We're also learning. We're constantly adjusting. At what point did we think we should stop doing that? Never is the correct answer. Unfortunately, never is only about 20 or 30% of the time we hear people say, or we observe their patterns. Yep. Absolutely. And I have been right next to Shep when he has been doing magic. And um, I don't know how he does it because it is. It's, I still practice. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, In my speeches that I do for clients uh, and I talk about I talk about creating that moment of magic for that customer. That is a perfect tie in. And in in where a lot of speakers might tell a story or do something funny, I'll throw in a little trick. It, it makes sense to do it once in a while. So I still do it there. And of course, as I mentioned, I still We'll have fun with the magic and do some special charity events and and still do that. Yeah, still he's amazing. You know, we share. I'm, I'm a musician, too. I got my degree in conducting. And one of my oh, wow. nightmare scenarios was student teaching at Irvine High School when I walked in the door, never playing guitar. And all the, there's 30 teenage boys trying to play Stairway to Heaven on untuned guitars. Like, there's not <laughs> enough gin on this planet for me to take this job. I was like, this isn't what I'm supposed to do. I'm glad I'm here. So went on to conducting, and that was all great. Wow, um, that's I did not know that about you. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it's fun. You know, when I speak at NAM, I can bring all those things in and pictures of me mm. conducting and being corrected and showing, yeah, it's it sucks when you're learning how to conduct because there's only one way to do it in front of people, which is the same thing 
with what we do, right? So um, the yeah, only you way can, you, you can learn. put it on paper all you want, but when that customer walks to the door, whatever's on paper has to be transferred to true human to human skills. And when you're conducting, same thing. By the way, for those that don't know, NAM, which I've had the pleasure of speaking at uh, at least a couple of times, uh, maybe three. Anyway, National Association of Music Merchandisers. And these are the people that when you want to uh, buy an instrument, you go to the store. Or if you're in a band, your kids are in a band at school, that, and you probably did a lot of uh, work with those stores that rented music musical instruments and Exactly. and sold them to the kids. Good good to bring the audience to speed. So what are some of the most common mistakes that businesses make when it comes to customer service? I mean, I'm sure I could come up with a list, but I'm sure you have. What's wow. like your well, pet peeve? Like what's your number one and then go from there? Well, I think, uh, well, let's, let's uh, it's not so much a pet peeve. It's the number, yes, for number one mistake. And I think the number one mistake, mistake is to recognize that every single person is involved in customer service. Even if their job is to, you know, uh, be in the store to do nothing more than clean up, put things back on the rack, whatever it is, if it's, you know, depending on what they do, that person who who's not hired necessarily to, you know, work with customers needs to recognize they need to say hello. They need to look people in the eye. They need to greet them. They need to, you know, do anything. That interaction becomes so important. Uh, I love what Disney has done when they describe what everybody's job is to do at Disney. Actually, everybody has three jobs. The job they were hired to do could be taking tickets, working at a store, whatever, take care of the guest, which is just as important as the job they were hired to do. And number three, keep the park clean. And I think we can really transfer those three responsibilities to virtually any retail experience. And we need to let people know, you may be in the back room working with inventory, unboxing, eventually you're bringing it out on the floor and you may not directly engage with your customers, but you're you're involved in the process. You're supporting some of this. And every once in a while, you get to look somebody in the eye and just say, hello, how are you? Smile. Thanks for coming in. It all works. Yeah. So I think that's my big pet peeve, if you will, is that they don't recognize it. Another uh, issue I think, uh, concern I have is when people are hired to work in retail, they need to understand the soft skill of customer service is really, really important. Um, and there's no right answer to this question. Well, there's lots of right answers, actually. There's plenty of both right and wrong, but there's no one right answer. Uh, I love that at one point I learned, I don't know if they still do it, uh, Nordstrom used to ask in the interview, what's your definition of customer service? Mm. I love that because there's so many right answers, but you can obviously spot the wrong one too. And uh, you can learn real quick, okay, this person might not be for me. So we we want to hire somebody that has a background in skills, uh, soft skills of service. We also, if they've got a retail experience and they know how to work the floor, even better. And then I think the problem that many companies fail at is they don't train people properly and get them up to speed fast enough. Uh, and then once in a while I hear high turnover. We don't want to invest. We know they're going to leave on average. We do, you know, uh, 180% turnover a year, which means we train them. They leave almost 
two times throughout the year. And I say to myself, my gosh, what if you did train them? What if what if the person that wasn't trained lost a really good customer for you? Don't you think it would be worth putting them through a little bit of training on the front end? And then my final comment is customer service training isn't something you did. It's something you do. It needs to be ongoing. Maybe on the onboarding process, spend a little more time. But ongoing, you need to remind people of the importance of delivering the experience that makes people say, I'll be back. Well, and that's what makes the job fun. I think that's when you talk to retailers and they talk about those high turnover rates and without training. <laughs> so my job is just to sit around here and wait for people to come in and ask for stuff, right? Like, that's pretty much it. <laughs> Unless you teach them that the parties in the aisles, you give them the tools to do something better so they can do something better with their side hustle. They could do something better in a hobby or a charity, whatever they're going to be doing, making their lives better. Then you really are going to have brain dead people. And then you're going to be like, well, this is all we can get. But there's plenty of stores out there that are doing a There are job. stores right. that are kicking it and everything from small boutiques. You know, I work, I, I've worked with so many different types of clients, big, small, whatever. But let's talk about the big one, Target. How about that? Lowest turnover they've had in years. Uh, I don't know if it's still this year, but as of last year, that was the case. And we're looking at what happened to all this uh you know, the, the economy, you know, people, the quitting economy, great whatever you want to call it. Quiet. Yeah, great res- it's not happening there. Now, what are they doing? They're, they're, they're hiring good people. They're taking care of their people and they make them want to come back to keep working there. You know, part of it is they can afford to do it, but any company can really afford to do it if they choose to do it. And when they start to recognize the cost of turnover can be far higher than paying somebody a little bit more and giving them the benefit that they deserve and keeps them there. And when you show you care, they will reciprocate and show they care about you and your customers. Yeah, it was like... Um, Five years ago, I think Target and Walmart announced they were putting in. Walmart was putting in 100 training centers. Target was doing an additional one. Target, the stock, both of them went down like 20%. Like, what a waste of money. And yet, who's the one laughing at the end when the pandemic hits and they do show that they take care of their crew, right? And then they bring them back. And all the way through, you just keep seeing all these little marks like, yep, that's what makes a great brand. Now, people will say, but that's easy for them. And I would counter it's probably easier for a smaller business, wouldn't you think? You know, I would think so. I've got a friend, he's in the restaurant business, and he managed to hold on to his employees, barely able to do it, but he did it through the pandemic and came out, and none of them have quit. And he goes, I don't have a problem with employment. I take care of my people. They will never leave. Uh, Brian Keeley, who just, uh, I believe, in the last year, uh, finally retired from a healthcare system down in South Florida, uh, Baptist Health South. He had a comment or a phrase that he used. He called it destination employment. He wanted to create the experience for the employees that was so good that they would never leave. Just as you want your customers to keep coming back again and again, you want your employees to do the same thing. And by the way, when you create that kind of a, a destination employment opportunity and it works, you start to get a list of people that want to work for you, not when you're out looking and saying, you know, we need we need to go find people. How are we going to do it? We need to shut down half a restaurant. We need to, you know, close our hours because we can't or shorten our hours because we can't get good people to work, you know, in the evenings and weekends. So you just have to, you know, listen to what we're talking about today. These are ideas and there's nothing here that isn't common sense, but we know common sense isn't always so common. 
That's right. I've never heard the destination employer. That's a, a new one. You always hear about that as destination for marketing for a downtown association destination mm-hmm. to go. I love that. Well, listen, you just posted an hour ago. I'm, I, I was stalking you on Twitter. You posted a, a cartoon Uh-oh. about a comedian signing off about tipping. Yes, and yes, yes. Said, I, I think the tip which is usually seen as a gesture of appreciation for a good service experience has become, at least for some businesses, perceived as an obligation, regardless of how good or bad the experience is. So should a dry cleaner have a tip jar? I, you know what? I don't know. I don't want to I don't want to irritate the dry cleaners. The dry cleaning association. The um, yeah, here's here's the thing. Uh tipflation and then there's the other word tip creeping um which is you know it blew my mind and by the way i went back and i said i'm refusing to tip i don't care what shows up on that little uh you know ipad looking thing that says do you want to tip 18 25 or 30 i mean it's crazy what the numbers are today it used to be 15 percent. you never hardly ever see on the choices unless you want to do a custom number 15 percent. i know i'm going off the rails here but i was at a um, I, at a uh, self-service checkout i got one candy bar and i won't tell you the name brand but the initials are snickers love Snickers. I, and I also love them M&Ms. That would be the initials. But one totally. candy bar, I swipe it myself. I take out my phone to pay for it. And it asked how much I wanted to leave as a tip. I think that's extreme. Um, but that's really where we're going today. What, you know, you used to do the drive through at a fast food restaurant. Did you ever tip the people taking care of you? Now, there is that option. I go into a coffee shop. By the way, coffee shops, I think, are a little different. The baristas or whatever you want to call them the, who work behind the counter, they're engaging. That's fine. That's been around for a while. But when you start, I, I'm I'm going to start seeing, I know I'm going to go to Costco, Target, Sam's, grocery stores, and I'm going to start saying, hey, do you want to tip the cashier? Are you kidding me? I guess. I don't know. Well, what think about that, that whole idea of, it becomes an obligation. Uh, it's something to get through at the end. It it kind of puts a question mark in your experience, doesn't it? Like, do I want to go back here for that? I mean, it's not. It's the last it's, experience we have, guilty. right? Even though I don't think somebody should get tipped in certain industries, if I'm walking in to buy a sweater at a retail store in a mall, and I go to check out, and it asks me if I want to leave a little something for my salesperson. Are you kidding me? Maybe that's where we're going. But for right now, I'm saying, you know, I don't know if it's happened to you and it has not happened to me in that environment, but I don't think we're too far away from it. Yeah. What do you think? I would, I would agree. And I'm a little bit more uh, aggressive on my thoughts about tipping. I think. Uh, I love reading your comments in retail. Wire. That, <laughs> <laughs> it's, I want to be so the burr under the saddle. That's my role there, my friend. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, because I think it's important. I'm the guy, the customer service guy. I got to be friendly. I got to be diplomatic. We are the world. The retail doctor's got to diagnose and tell you the bad news. That's right. Can't hold back. That's (laughs) right. I just think that uh, to me, the two things that come about is one, pay your people better. Two, I think about them being stolen because usually it's just right there. And it doesn't seem like um, it doesn't seem like it is. 
something that's appreciated, even if you do do it in most places. You know, I expect, I, you know, I used to be the CMO of a coffee franchise. We had 130 locations. And I said, the day you don't thank somebody for a tip is the day they stop giving it because they remember, did you notice? And that's kind of a big deal. But, you know, um, that brand promise is really what we're talking about. So uh, another uh, video that you do, and you do a ton of videos. You have to make sure you follow Shep on uh, YouTube. But uh, let's talk about Shep the Echo. ShepTV.com. Your... Go ahead. It's ShepTV.com. There you go. Take you straight to the YouTube channel. So you say a brand is a promise delivered. So what difference does it make? Uh, like in an Ace Hardware example, if uh, the, what is it about the Echo and the brand promise that you like so much about Ace in particular? Well, I mean, and th there's so many variations of the brand. It's the promise delivered. So a, a brand promise is something that's very outward. It's something that the customer may even see. What is Ace uh, Ace Hardware's tagline? It's actually their brand promise. Like and it, the it's helpful hardware guy updated the to helpful the helpful hardware, hardware, hardware person or something now. But yeah, yeah, the helpful hardware place. Okay. So, um, and by the way, I wrote an entire book called Amaze Every Customer Every Time. And it is using Ace Hardware as a role model throughout the book. A very retail-oriented, focused book. But I chose them for a reason. Number one, nobody had ever written a book that used Ace Hardware throughout. They had examples and everybody's written about Amazon and Zappos and Apple and all these other great brands. Ace one year uh, I was looking at, this is why I did it. Um, there was the top 25 customer service brands in the world, according to business week and Ace hardware fell in at number 10 ahead of the Ritz Carlton, which surprised me. And it turns out the reason is, is because of all of the feedback that's publicly available through all the different you know, different channels and the comments that are made and the ratings and all that type of thing. Anyway, uh, the brand promise, the helpful hardware place. So when I was doing my interviews to learn about Ace, I got it over and over again from different executives. We understand what good customer service is. You can walk into Home Depot, Lowe's, Menards, any of the other big chain box stores, and you're going to get good customer service. You're going to get friendly customer service, but are you going to get helpful customer service. And helpful is where they believe their secret sauce and their differences. So the reason I chose Ace is they're a dealer network. Each one of those stores are owned by an individual, family, whatever. Some of them might have two or three stores. There's a few that have a few more, but they're all independent retailers, smaller retailers that go up against large box stores and they win over and over again. It's like a David and Goliath story. And I don't care if you are a large store competing against another large store. It's it, Ace has competition just, I think, at a higher level. So we can all learn from that. But what Ace has done is when you walk in and they go, hey, how are you? Welcome to the store. They don't ask, can I help you? They ask, what can I help you find today? And when you tell them, they start to identify what type of a shopper you are. Do you already know? Are you a mission shopper? Are you a regular? Uh, are, you, are you the social shopper that wants to talk to a salesperson? Or do you really need help? You, they have all these different types of, of personas, if you will. But when you, when you tell them what you want, they lead you there and they ask you things like, I remember I went, and of course I did my research by going into numerous stores. So I went in to get a hinge replaced years ago. And I said, um, I'm, you know, what can I help you find today? I'm looking for one of these. 
Let me show you where it is on the way there. What are you using it for? Well, obviously for a door, but specifically what kind of a door? And I explained it. They go, you don't want that. You want this. Wow. And it was less money, saved money. But the point is, had they not been willing to help me as opposed to just friendly tell me where it is in the aisle that I'm looking for, I would have walked out with a product that wasn't as good as what I ended up with. That's what helpful is. And that's their secret sauce. So they've taken their tagline, which is a brand promise, and they deliver on it. And actually, they certify dealers. And not every Ace Hardware store is Ace certified. They strive to be, but they prove over and over again through mystery shopping programs that they are delivering on that helpful mantra. And that has a cost to it, and that has a dedication, and that's why they're doing so well. I love that. Well, let's take it. And it does have a cost, but it also has, you know, it has payback, right? It has ROI. And that's important. So you had to get that back in, which is exactly the right point, which is there's always a return on training and investment. It's not a cost, it's investment. That's great. Well, let's take a break and uh, we'll be right back with Chef Hyken. Hey, it's Bob again. I'm not only your host, but also the founder of the SalesRx online retail sales training program. How many sales that should have been yours walked out your front doors today? You know, with shoppers being more discerning about where and when they shop, you need to convert more lookers to buyers. And SalesRx is the perfect solution to make training memorable. It's bite-sized, it can fit easily into your schedules. Don't tell me you don't have time to train. If you can give them time to take a break, you have time for them to train. Now the training builds from some of the quickest ways to engage shoppers to the most advanced. Everything is planned so you can implement your sales training program with a click of a button. And there's a reason we're on four continents training thousands because SalesRx is scalable. Everybody learns the same new skills that will grow your sales. In fact, 83% of users report a double-digit increase in their sales within six months. Wouldn't you like that to be your story? Visit SalesRx to learn more and set up a call with me to see how we can help. That's S-A-L-E-S-R-X.com. Now back to the broadcast. All right, and we're back with Shep Hyken, the Chief Amazement Officer. So can you tell us about a time when you faced a really challenging customer service situation and how you solved it? Wow. Um, Well, I get it all the time. Uh, and that I hear from other companies. But if you're asking me, have I personally experienced that? You can take that? either one, you personal yeah, or, a, or I mean, a company. I, I like to get my feedback, no doubt about it. Uh, and I'm the customer service guy. So I have to be nice to every client, whether they're right or wrong, uh, I have to be nice to them. And of course, I had, um, you know, I've had clients that uh, have give, given me feedback, really interesting feedback. And there's one person in the audience. I, I work for a major conglomerate. And I work with these, uh, there were different divisions. I had all the VPs, presidents of the different divisions. And I made a comment in my speech that I do all the time. I'll tell you what it was. Uh, There was a gentleman who was from Nigeria in the audience. And uh, I started to interact with him in the speech. And I asked him, where are you from? Obviously thick accent. And he said, Nigeria. I said, I love Nigeria. And I guess the way I said it made people laugh. And I go, I was just in Nigeria last week. And I really was, by the way. <laughs> and, and I mentioned it to him. I said, I actually have a Nigerian name. It's it's uh, Omo, Omowane is actually what it means. It means the child returns. And I said that to him and he laughed. And we just interacted and, and, and that was part of the program. After the program, president says, 
best speech we've ever had. The client that hired me, best speech we ever had. And my feedback, the client who hired me says, I got a problem. Somebody went to HR with the interaction that you had with whatever his name was from Nigeria. And I go, what did I say wrong? They played it to me. Oh, they had a video and, and they played it back. I go, and so what's wrong with what I did? She goes, I can't see it, but they're making us think about it. Well, I not only was in Nigeria the week before, I was, I talked to this gentleman for 20 minutes afterward and told him what I was doing. And we just really connected. So I said, would you please go talk to that gentleman and find out that everything's cool. He goes, she goes, it doesn't matter. It's such a big problem. We'll never be able to hire you again. I went, Lousers. wow. I went president telling me best speaker we've ever had clients saying you knocked that out of the park to, we can't hire you because I offended somebody apparently because they thought I was making fun of this gentleman. When in reality, the conversation was real. Here's what I did. This is a long way of getting to the point. I cannot take your money if you are not 100% happy. And if I've done a job that won't get you to hire me again, I don't deserve to be paid. This person like almost freaked out. <laughs> no, 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 no. We think you did great. We want to pay, but that's the, the mindset that I have. And, uh, I want, I want, you know, I don't ever want anybody out there to say they weren't happy and not be some, I mean, that was my answer. What do you want me to do? I'll give you your money back. And it's not like I can exchange this item for another item. Uh, I, you know, but that's, that's just me. Uh, by the way, the customer is not always right. That's important. This would be something you would say, Bob. The customer's not always right. I have but before. I will add to that. They are always the customer. So even if they're wrong, you let them be wrong with dignity and respect and you take care of them and make sure that they want to do business with you again, that you leave the door cracked open, even if you're having a major dispute. And uh, that's that's just my philosophy. And that's what we teach. I like that. You just took me back to my first speeches before a national hardware company, Dallas Convention Center. They go, excuse me, before you go on, we just have the CEO want to say one quick thing. Is that our kind of like, it's your show. Whatever you want, I'm good. CEO comes out. Yeah, we lost $4 million, and I know that's going to affect all your retirement plans, but we'll talk about that in our meetings tomorrow. In the meantime, here's Bob Fibbs, the retail doc. How about this? I was working for a major oil company, uh, and they said we've had some bad years. This time next year, half of you won't be here. Ladies and gentlemen, our motivational speaker on customer service, here's Shep. You know, it's what do you do? <laughs> I, I just turned the audience. You, know, you can be pissed off at, at it or we can learn something from me right. today. It's your choice. What do you want? And one very when nice I, woman yeah. says, we want to hear from you. And at that point, right. you know, if you didn't say that, right, if you didn't release that in the room, which I think is kind of important when we're talking about customer service, that a lot of times you can feel something wrong. There was a story in a jewelry magazine yesterday. It was talking about this woman who comes in wanting to surprise her husband with a ring. And uh, the, she goes, he takes a 10. And the jeweler says, well, you know, I want to have it with the real, we want to size this to be sure. No, I know it's a 10. So then she goes through and I want it engraved. Like, well, if we do this, they can't be resized or anything. That's fine. Sign of the thing. So what happens? She gives it to the husband. What? It doesn't fit. She comes in demanding, screaming and everything. And people are saying, oh, well, what should they have done? And I said, they went off the rails at the beginning because you took the choice that maybe this is going to work. But your gut said, we're in danger here. And don't you right. think that's kind of part of the problem with customers? You aren't really realizing where is 
this could go off the rails right now. And yep. I think having that sixth sense, we don't teach that, but you, you, you need to know that, don't you? I mean, yeah. So here's where I, I love that example because this is an opportunity like, you know, to debrief the mission. The mission is we want to sell this woman a ring. The thing is, is she wants to buy the ring in, in an area where you put her in danger and your, your store in danger. So there is a compromise and the compromise would have been to clearly explain why we don't want to engrave the ring yet because there's no way at that point to get it fixed or to, without whatever. So I would just simply say, I mean, if they really, she really wants to do it, I'd probably have her sign some type of disclaimer about can't fix it, can't return it, or this is what it would cost if we needed to do it. But I would say, let's do it this way. Let's get the ring in. Let's get the ring in. Let's put it in a box. Let's write what the engraving is in a piece of paper in the box, make it look really pretty and just say, please, you know, when it opens up, she needs to say, I want to make sure it fits. And then once you tell me it does, you see what's written on the inside of that box. It's going on the inside of the ring. It'll be there forever. Always with you. That's a great point. I she, think we win. They put but her you've in got to take the time to do that, yeah. right? With Instead of saying, oh, this will be easy sale, maybe it'll work. Because, frankly, this leads me to, and we're getting close to the end of our time here today, but leads me to one of our next questions, which, how do you see customer service evolving? I think um, there's, a, there's a certain element of customer that's been emboldened by just scream and get your money back or threaten or you're going to trash your business online in, in a million ways. And I don't think we saw that 20 years ago. But it's the no, real no. part of customer service right now, isn't it? So how can you see it evolving well, and the hope as we do through work through that? I, I'm a little more optimistic than you, Bob. You're always more optimistic. <laughs> You're a magician. It's all going to turn out great. It's all beautiful. But here's to your point, you're very right about something. The customer's more demanding than ever. I think they're, they're short tempered. They're fusish. And here's why. Uh, great companies, great brands out there are creating an experience that's setting the bar high. And everybody, uh, everybody, the consumer, all consumers are now comparing all the service they have, regardless of the kind of company you are, they're comparing it to the best service they've had. So that's what they want, and they know they can get it. And when they don't get it, what's happened is these companies that are great have created what I call demanding customers, where they expect you to deliver, and then you as a retailer think, boy, they're being awful demanding. But are they? They get it from these other brands. They get it from uh, maybe it's their the shoe repair down the street that always remembers the name when the customer walks in, always says it's going to be ready on Thursday, but it's always ready on Wednesday, you know, always calls to let them know it's ready and, you know, uh, that type of thing. You know, when you look at Amazon and when I ask the question in the audience, who are your favorite companies to do business with? Apple, Amazon, they're always recognized. Why Amazon? And I had a great answer from a client, uh, from an audience member once, and a client uh, who hired me was was in the audience and wanted to find out, well, what they said was, we're not an Amazon-type company. And I said, you missed the point. When the person said they love Amazon because the moment they make the, uh, you know, they make their purchase, they get an email. The moment it's shipped, they get an email with tracking information. When it arrives, they get an email, sometimes even a picture. That's what they were doing for a while. And what is that? You know, guy says, we don't have emails. We don't do that. I go, you missed the point. The point is nobody wants to get emails. 
They want to feel in control. And that's what Amazon does a spectacular job of making you feel in control. When that retailer who's selling me shoes or repairing my shoes is calling me to tell me, uh, hey, the 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 heel came in, I'm going to work on it, it's going to be ready in two days. They're not just telling me as an update, they're giving me a sense of control of my situation, even if I really don't have it, it feels like I do. If retailers do that uh, at this level and find ways and opportunities to make customers feel like they're in control of their experience, it's magic. I, I think this brings no me- No pun intended. This- Except it probably was intended because you're making a joke, my friend. Uh, I would say that I think follow-up has become a huge issue with a lot yep. of retailers and, and service providers in that. Issue or opportunity? Me issue, you opportunity. Uh, <laughs> but the fact that just trying to get employees to follow up, right? Like you can give them the scripts. You could say, here's what you do. Send them a text, call them. But that something feels like they're violating the sacred space. And I don't know if it's a generational thing or whatever, but I'm noticing it. And I would have to think you have, you've noticed it as well, that somehow it seems uh, we don't have that permission to do that. I don't know. We aren't invited to do that. Whereas my generation is like, well, of course you were going to do it. Right. I mean, the furniture is going to be a week late. I mean, you got to tell them that, Oh, well, I'll get to it. It's like, no, no, no. That's a big deal because they might have a party, you know, uh, this Friday and it's going to be next Friday, whatever. So um, are you seeing that? And is follow-up something yeah, that I'm seeing the customers, d- different generations expect different things. No doubt about it. Uh, some generations are more tolerant of service or lesser quality service, poor service than, than um, you know, other generations. We've got to recognize who our customer is delivered to that. But I will tell you this, no customer, has ever been upset if you called them and told them about a problem before they found out about the problem. And obviously, and you had a solution in mind. Uh, I, I bought out a great story. I bought a dining room table and chairs many years ago from a retailer here in St. Louis, Missouri, where I live. And they were supposed to be in in six to eight weeks. Well, in 12 weeks was Thanksgiving. So no problem, six to eight weeks, I have a whole month Plus, well, guess what? Delay, delay, delay. The retailer calls me, tells me I'm not going to get it in eight weeks, tells me I might not even get it in 12. And I said, I've got Thanksgiving. They go, we've already got it worked out. We have a similar dining room set and chairs. If if your chairs aren't in by um, Thanksgiving, we will send these out to you. You will have a wonderful dinner and we will replace them with the order that you, you know, had place with us. As soon as the chairs come in, we'll swap it all out and the table comes in. And I thought, wow, I'm never going anywhere else. This guy had my back and he was proactive. Everything, everything. And by the way, this was 30 plus years ago. This isn't today. Today, it's expected. Uh, Everything that we talk about that were the great stories of the past, even just two, three, four, five years ago, these are new expectations that customers expect and demand of you. And if you're not willing as a retailer to step up and not just compare yourself to your competition, but you need to compare yourself to others outside of your direct competition so you can become world-class, not just best in class. I love that. And I think if you look at your own shopping, you suddenly realize people think, oh, I mean, I'd love you to hire me or Shep or there's millions of people that would tell you, but 
just look at yourself. Look at the things that you value when you purchase things and things that get you ticked off and then yep. compare that to what you're doing in your organization. And just right there, you're like, well, what's the disconnect? And you realize, oh, I guess we never taught them what success looks like. That's the key. That's why you train people. This is what success right. looks like. Here's how you get there. Great. Right now, it's, for a lot of people, it's wild, wild west. We're just happy somebody came in. They're supposed to be trained. Yay. That's not gonna. That's not gonna make you a lot of money. Well, that brings me to the end of our time. But I ask all oh, my guests, my friend, having so much fun. One question, my friend, Mister Guitar Man. Tell me something good about retail. Tell you something good. Well, we have a lot to look forward to. Um, this whole idea of technology combining with the human experience. A lot of our customers already know what they're going to buy before they ever walk in. They've been online. They've looked at pictures. Well, now you've got chat GPT and AI that's able to personalize to a level we can't believe. You've got augmented reality where, uh, you know, my wife said the other day, I just bought this new makeup. I went online, put my picture there, and I saw and, and what all the different, I mean, all of this is happening and it was, and, and, and you know, it's been going on for a few years, but it's becoming What's the word? Ubiquitous? Ubiquitous? Whatever. It's becoming worldwide. We're, we're be able to go almost anywhere and get these incredible experiences. So I just want to tell what I think is exciting is that technology is merging with human to human experiences. And, and it's just going to crush the customer experience in a positive way. When I say crush it, it's like we're going to crush it and get it, you know, not smash it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think so I just think there's so much opportunity and it's not even expensive anymore to do some of these things. So the company that's taken a look at not only what the competitors are doing, but what companies and brands who they don't necessarily compete with and finding out why do I like those companies? What is it that they're doing that I like? And could I be doing it here? When we start to put all that information together. We can create the experience that and I use those, you know, the three words, I'll be back. Because that, by the way, happens to be my latest book. I'll be back. How <laughs> to get customers to come back again and again. That's what we want customers to say. And that's what we want customers to do. Absolutely. Well, thanks for joining me today, Shep. And again, you can check all the bio and all the ways to reach him and find out about his speaking, his writing, and his magic, but not for his guitar. So thanks for joining us today. I appreciate it, Shep. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Tell Me Something Good About Retail with Bob Fibbs, the retail doctor. As a listener, you can receive free information and guides when you visit retaildoc.com and sign up for our exclusive weekly newsletter. Thanks for being with us. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. To virtually bring Bob to all of your crew and associates, check out www.salesrx.com. 